I want to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Keep It Uplifting podcast. This is episode 189. I'm always wrong when I say this, so I don't know. But today we have a special guest. I'm here in my hometown of Baltimore, 14 feet, 20 feet, 25 feet from the Raven Stadium at Checkers Checkers Spot Brewing Company. I'm with the owner, Judy. How are you? Great. Great. Happy to have you here. Thank you for having me here. I found your story to be really, really amazing because we're in a world where you can stream your life and that can build a business for you. So, you know, the whole thing of, hey, you can start anything you want, do something from home and it actually come to fruition is true. I'm actually here with you here in the brewery. And uh, this is your new location. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah, we just moved here September 1st. And how was the move? Oh, it's crazy. The past year has been crazy. Oh. Uh, yeah, so we bought the building uh, about a year ago. Okay. So the last year has been um, construction and then, yeah, physically getting stuff over here. You don't realize how much stuff you uh, have after five years <laughs> in, in one location. but And that's actually amazing that you said that. You said it's been five years. Um when you started, but it's it didn't start there, right? Like you've been doing the brewing for a long time, correct? Yeah. So uh, about thirteen years before we opened the first place, I guess now that's nineteen, almost twenty years ago. I um, started home brewing, okay, in my basement, uh, just as a hobby for fun. Amazing, and um, that slowly evolved into this this. Uh, giant system (laughs) (laughs) there's a but a lot of guys there's a lot of guys that i've worked with that brewed beer in their house they had like one keg and then one keg got to two kegs so what was that process like for you you know uh from the time you started to arriving here now yeah so i um it actually i went to uh anchor brewing company out in san francisco okay and uh, i went with uh my husband yeah, we were just going to have some beers. My uh, got a lot of family out there, and my aunt had gotten us um, like brewery tour tickets, and uh, it's just sort of fun. I remember going on the brewery tour and thinking it was just the coolest thing I had ever seen. Yeah, and um, I came home and decided to brew beer, just just like that. Really? Um, and uh, yeah, went to uh, Maryland Homebrew. Okay. Down in Columbia and. You know, got one of those, like the first kits, they're, they're very easy. They come in like recipe kits with instructions, yeah. okay. you know, sort of like a little more complicated than baking a cake, but like, you know, like getting a cake mix and follow the instructions and you end up having beer at the end. And um, I thought I made the, the best beer ever. <laughs> <laughs> if I had had that now, I would have, what I, what I would give to be able to try that beer right now, I would love to. Um, but yeah, back then I was just drinking like Natty Bow and, um, you know, maybe something import here or right, there, but right. you know, really not, not a beer connoisseur by any stretch. And, um, yeah, I just thought the whole like process about the whole thing was, was just so cool and, and something I wanted to do. So it definitely started like that, like on the stovetop in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I was bottling, so it was like 50 bottles each Yourself? batch. Yep. 
So it was just 50, 50 bottles. Um, right. And, um, you know, just sort of evolved and evolved. I started using um, grains. So instead of just doing it on the stovetop with like a liquid, um, started actually extracting the sugars from the grains um, and then doubling it. So the first time I bottled a hundred beers, I decided I was not going to bottle anymore that I was going to carry because <laughs> bottling 50 beers is one thing. A hundred right, is right. a very different, <laughs> different animal. And, um, yeah, so once I started kegging, that then allows you to, you can fill up one keg from right. one batch. So it, right. it's much easier that way and put it on top, taste it. And um, it got to the point where in the basement, we had uh, eight eight beers on top. Wow. So, and I, I would make something and then taste it and then take notes about how I wanted to make it better the next time. And so it was very popular because I then wanted everyone to just drink the beer so that I would have space to then put on the <laughs> next like better iteration of of that beer. So yeah, it definitely I don't know if I'd call it out of hand, but yeah. <laughs> but eight taps of the basement is a little more than uh eight taps. Than a hobby, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that crosses the line. Yeah. So uh how did how did you know that eight taps was the number? Because I, I read I read that about you where, you know, you said you got the eight taps and then it was, okay, it's time to move. Why not at six or five? <laughs> eight was all I could fit. So <laughs> I, I didn't have space for any more than eight. Otherwise, I probably would have gone higher. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it just worked out um, at my job. So I uh, got my PhD. Uh, it was actually while I was home brewing. Here at home Hopkins, brewing. too, yep. so which Hopkins, is not easy at yep. all. So I was working with um, uh, hantavirus, so okay. I did a lot of virology work. Okay. Got my PhD in microbiology and immunolo- immunology, and um, then did a postdoc at NIH working with the influenza and um, like universal vaccines. So totally planning on going the like science right. research, right. you know, route. And um, then I got a job after that doing um, for a startup company doing hospital disinfection systems. And um, sort of started the lab for them, helped define the, you know, biological parameters for for their um, products. They were definitely not going to be staying in business. Um, so at that point, this is when I had eight taps in the basement. Um, <laughs> at that point was when um, I sort of had a decision to make. This was the point where I was like, I, I need to find another job, you know, the the. I still had my job, but it was just myself and my boss. Everyone else had been let go. We weren't even running experiments. Um, And um, so it was at that point I decided, no, I'm not going to look for another job. This is the time to take the leap. Um, It was also right around the time that the laws in Maryland changed, where opening a brewery could be a profitable endeavor. Um, Before that, you couldn't operate a tap room. So you couldn't sell your own beer Uh on premises. You couldn't uh, distribute your own beer. So you couldn't sell your beer to a liquor store or a bar or restaurant. Um, You had to go through a distributor, which pays, you know, you generally pay 30%. Um, And then the distributor has to make their money to retail, you know, so um, that's tough. And then not being able to have your beer on site and, you know, have somewhere that people can go and try all your different beers and get that one-on-one feedback from, 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 uh, people who are coming in from all the drinkers. And 
um, so it, it that with the change of those laws, they changed both of those things, and uh, it actually became a viable sort of small business right. for somebody who didn't have enough money to, you know, be able to carry themselves for six plus years, um, just only putting um, money in the company and being in debt the whole time. Right, and you you talk about uh, I like that you talked about you know thinking six years in advance. Because most small business entrepreneurs just think of, I'm passionate about this. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. Let's make this. I want, I'm ready to take the leap, right? So you saw the opportunity, but you also saw the opportunity as being a viable opportunity. Yeah. Um, Still a business. Yeah. But, but you, <laughs> but you're growing at a rapid rate, right? Like you, you, you know, 2018 was when you opened, correct? Yeah. And. Now you're here, 2023, untapped is coming to interview you. Um, you know, you're keep a, it uplifting. Keep coming. it uplifting is coming to interview you. You're a pillar of the community. Uh, your your business is on the news. Um, how are you handling the growth, and how are you able to, you know, make sure that you're scaling at a rate that is comfortable for you and the people that you employ? Yeah, so we we're still growing at a very controlled okay. rate. So we're not like quadrupling overnight or anything like that. Um, especially with a brewery, there's a lot of, you know, you can see around you a lot of infrastructure, you need the more can canning you have to do, the more cans you have to get and labels and can Ooh. lids and more kegging you have to do, the more kegs you have to have on hand and um, the more grain you have to have. And um, so there's a lot of cost that goes into making the beer. I've never thought and about And then that. you have to consider you're not, you know, it then takes one to two months to make the beer. Then you sell it and then you're probably not getting paid for like 30 days after that. So it's, you got to sort of, you got to grow organically right. to, to where you, you can handle it. Um, you know, sort of with the staff you have. And then we've slowly been adding, you know, converting part-time people generally to full-time, nice. um, that type of thing. So we do like to sort of hire from within I like um, that. and um, get people to, the jobs where they want to be. So, you know, you might start as a delivery driver and then work your way up to the brewery or um, different things like that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, it's definitely growth. Um, we were always trying to sort of grow in to something. Okay. So have, you know, when we first opened, you know, all the tanks weren't always full. Okay. Uh, but by the time we left, they were always full all the time, and I was having to juggle things to keep up with it. So when we had the opportunity to get a larger system here, um, that was great. It was something that we could use, you know, five more barrels of every every okay. beer we had. You know, it's a um, so it's able to grow that way. And sort of when you have the bigger tanks, it, it it's almost you know, the same effort, the same labor, okay. and chemicals, and everything goes into sort of cleaning and packaging and everything brewing a, a small batch versus a large batch. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at the labor side of it and how much it's sort of putting weight on, on that side, mm-hmm. um, if I were to brew a five barrel batch versus a 20 barrel batch, the time really isn't that different versus if I did four times five barrel batches to get the same amount of beer in the end, that's four that's, you know, all week right? versus one day. And then like, now what, now what? Right. Um, so it's just sort of always approaching it as how do we make it sort of better for 
staff mm-hmm. and my, myself included, um, you know, sort of how do we make it less physical work? You know, brewery is very, very physical work. So looking at anything you can do to uh, get rid of sort of unnecessary you know, physical labor right. that way. So don't be doing things over and over and over. Um, do it once. Um, things like that have sort of helped. So if you can sort of grow that way, okay. Um, you don't need four times the labor to brew four times. Right. Somewhat the automating the process. You do need four times the amount of grain <laughs> and four times the amount of cans and kegs and all that stuff. So there's, you know, you, that, that's the biggest thing you have to consider is that, that money. Do you have that money to front? To, to keep this the, the growth going. Did you know it would be all of that when you got into this? Yes. So I did. I spent a lot of time um, working on the business plan and financial statements and, and right. that whole thing, especially for the bank, you know, okay. which we needed for the bank. But I sort of taught myself most of these things. Um, I was really involved with the beer community. Okay. All, sort of all over the state, especially in Baltimore. Um, so I knew a lot of the brewery owners and brewers very, very well. Um, so, you know, I had these resources to go ask, you know, the, the brewing community is a very big proponent of like the pay it forward type thing. Um, you know, so all these people who have been there for me when we were starting, you know, I was asking help from people from union about, do you have recommendations for an accountant or a lawyer, you know, from brewers art, I, you know, ended up using their accountant, um, things like that, where it's just, um, from the business side and from the, the brewery side. Oh. Um, went and brewed with a bunch of different brewers and, you know, it's why are you doing it this way? And, uh, you know, because I did have to learn how to scale up from the homebrew to the commercial side. So homebrewing gives you a real foundation and understanding the ingredients and how to design beers and the science behind it. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? But to ramp up to the big scale... There's just some like practical logistic techniques you have to learn. Okay. Um, so you know, people were really helpful with that. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I was sort of able to get that help, which I'm now able to help people who are starting out now. And that's one of the great things about the craft beer community is, um, you know, as long as it stays like this and people are getting into it with sort of that open, open mind of, like, no, I'm not the best in the whole world. Like, we all have something to to offer. Um, and no, like, you don't just come to our brewery. Like, go visit some other breweries, too. You right. know, we're not. Um, Although you're 20 feet from the Raven Stadium. True. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> if you want to stop anywhere, you should probably stop here first. Yeah, stop here first, and then you can go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. No, but you, you spoke about the, the, the physical nature of the job. Uh, I did see a quote from you about how you, you that's something that you love about this process mm-hmm. is how hands-on it is. Um, with that, I want to say, did you have a lemonade stand or as a kid or – were you all, did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit? No, I mean, I, I was never really planning on being an entrepreneur, funny enough. It, uh, I want to say it just sort of happened, but, um, yeah, I never really thought of it as an option. Um, and it's funny as some, my parents have said, or they're like, my, my brother's gone into business for himself as well. And they're like, we must've done something, right? <laughs> you know, um, cause both of them always have full-time jobs right. and, you know, very stable, um, which I think may have had that sort of effect on us. Mm-hmm. Whereas, 
you had that stability right. growing up, so you knew it would be okay, okay to then take a risk versus, you know, being raised where it was always risky and like, are we going to eat tonight yes. or, are, you know, yes. which can probably, probably would have had a different effect on me right. than knowing it was, you know, my parents, you know, they worked and they had their job and we were always going to have, you know, the roof over our head or right. things like that, that, um, you know, cause there's a lot of stress that comes along with being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, we don't have kids and I even <laughs> more respect people who can have kids and be an entrepreneur. That's, uh, you know, I, but you empower a lot of women. Uh, I saw a story on you about, uh, women's month and you had made a statement. Uh, the quote I have here is, um, in STEM and brewing, we need, to be getting more women involved, but also in more leadership positions. Mm -hmm. So I know that's important to you. What do you say to the single mother that wants to start her own business as a single father, but single mother, more importantly, um, that has kids, how can she do what you have done? Maybe not on the same scale, but it's something that she's been doing for a while. She's really good at it. You know, what can you say to her to make her take that leap? I think the biggest thing is don't underestimate how much people will help you. If you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. Huh. Um, but if you ask people for help, like you need someone to watch your kid because you're going to be home late. Um, you know, we don't have a kid, but we do have a dog. dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, by asking, you know, we've had people watch her all day when we were working 16 hour days and okay. she couldn't you know it was construction zone that she couldn't be in and again that's not equivalent to having a child um but a dog a, a pet any pet is actually a, a lot of undertaking for yeah. anyone yeah. and they can't just be at home for that long right, right. you know like we, right. we do love you can't her, just you know, go and try. hop on you know yeah. hop on a plane and go somewhere especially yeah. when you have a dog um so yeah i would say never underestimate the help like realize that yeah, the world can be a pay it forward type of place and approach things like like that. You know, people, not everybody, but there's a lot, most people out there at the end of the day are good people would want to give back and would want to help somebody who was a single mother trying to, to, to better herself. And, and eventually, like the whole goal of that is to then have her freedom so that she can be there more for her kids so that her kid can go to work with her and not have to deal with daycare in the long run. So in the short run, yes, it's going to be harder. Um, but yeah, just ask for help. And then once you're up and running and yeah. you have your kid at work with you and it's, <laughs> then, then, you, then your kid even starts working for you. Right, right, um, right. Then you help the next single mother that comes to you. And it's like, yes. what should I do? Or, you know, you do something proactive back that, helps contribute back to making it easier for somebody like you were to get into this Uh or things like that. But I think a lot of people look at things and say, Oh, it's too hard. It's too hard, but get to know the people in the field doing what you want to be doing and ask for help. Yep. You mentioned uh, having parents that were stable and how that was able to propel you and your brother. Um, you work with your husband. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that's a good one. So when we first started the brewery, we had a very serious conversation. I was like, 
we're either going to get divorced or this is going to make us stronger. Okay. Like, it's going to go one of either direction. It's not going to be like, oh, it's fine. You know, right, it's going right, to go right. one of of either direction. And um, it's ended up being amazing. Okay. Amazing. I think part of what that is, is we both don't brew. We both don't do the same job. Okay. I brew the beer and um, do sort of run the business side of things. And he does the sales and distribution is he Side good at his job? Very. Okay. <laughs> no, and it's funny. Like I, I was going to clip that out and send it to him. Questions about the different sides of things. I'm like, you know, I know some of the places we're in, but not all of. Like he knows that up and down. Like which stores we're in, what beers wow. are there, that type of thing. I know how to make the beer. You know, so it, it, we can both field sort of different sides, and we both need somebody doing those other sides that then we can communicate back and forth i can tell him when we're gonna have what beer or no this isn't going to be ready in time or and he can tell me what they need um so it works really well that way um so we've been i think very lucky <laughs> that way but we definitely knew going into it there was a because there's I just, definitely a risk i wonder know? about personal time yeah like when you know i work with you so i yeah. guess if you're on different sides of the house you don't see each other, maybe? There's that. And then... Because um, don't you with, get tired of someone after all? So I'm very much on-site okay. with the brewing. Okay. And with sales and distribution, he's very much off-site. Ah, so okay. Accounts, so okay. Some things like that. So uh, minus the past year where we've been just doing crazy construction. And then we've really liked having each other around because otherwise, alone, we would have each... Definitely had crazy. a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we didn't together, we would definitely would have a side. And that was the point where if he wasn't going through it at the same time, he wouldn't be able to understand like just how stressful and just what you're going through uh-huh. type thing. Like you can't, you can see it from the outside, but you don't, can't understand it unless you're actually in it. Um, so I think that sort of helped us be a lot more understanding with e- with each other is understanding that stress and knowing that there is somebody there for you who's going through the same thing. And, Ooh. um, so do yeah, you that ever, that's a funny question. Cause yeah, we, we, <laughs> we had that exact conversation. <laughs> so, um, fun fact, did you know that, uh, women were the first to brew beer? Yes. The Brewsters. You did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It was like uh cooking. In the house. Yes, yes, yes. Made the beer, you cooked. I thought I was going to stump you with that one. No, it's a typical story. When it started getting industrialized and highly profitable. Oh. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Yes, he stepped in. (laughs) (laughs) Then it was no longer women's work. (laughs) It was a business, you know. Um, But but uh, times have changed. Do you you like the way that things are going? Do you feel that things are balanced? Uh, This isn't like a political thing or anything. This is just... I absolutely do. Beer was very, um, you know, white male focused, 100%. It was, you know, white women in bikinis selling beer to white men. And that was mm-hmm. it. Like, that was straight up it. Um, yeah, it's not even going to an extreme to try to offend everyone else right, right. <laughs> in the process. Right. And, um, yeah, so a lot of women didn't drink beer because it wasn't something they did. You know, you don't yeah. even think. It's, you know, a bunch of guys sitting on a couch cracking open a beer and fighting and all that stuff that, you know, that, that, that was the was, picture in the 90s and early 2000s being, yeah. being silly and um and then it it really changed so that was one of the things in um it was 20, 2012 uh we helped with uh, another group of women co-found baltimore beer babes 
Um, so it was a uh, woman who actually runs Maryland Homebrew. Okay. She's owner and also uh, homebrews and runs that business. Um, and then another woman who basically ran one of the big uh, craft uh, distributing companies in the state. And we got together and it was supposed to be, it wasn't how to homebrew or the science around beer. It was about beer. So we would um, get together quarterly. So part of it was social. Part of it was you know, getting all women together. Mm-hmm. to drink and talk about beer so that people weren't intimidated to ask questions or afraid that they didn't know enough. Or, and um, we would focus on different things. Like one would be about hops and one would be about yeast. Or one would be about what is an IPA? You know, what, what are these different IPAs? Like, what does this mean versus this? Or, um, you know, what are the Belgian beers? What are these a double versus a triple versus, you know, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of demystifying yes, stuff. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, when it started out, it, that was great. And I would say now you walk into a bar and, you know, I yeah. see what I always wanted to see. Yes. Like I've seen women <laughs> tell men what they, what like, they what, should this order. This is what you should this drink. This is what uh, you would what do you like. Have a t- what, is, what is your palate, and, right? And now being really knowledgeable. And I'm not saying we did that or anything, no. but <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's, I think, times have changed and there is that recognition. And especially with craft beer and the number of women involved in craft beer, I think has really opened that up and made it a lot more accessible. I do, you know, talk to a lot of people, a lot of women who come here and just say, you know, they're like, I think it's just so amazing that you see a woman in a male dominated industry. Like I just wanted to check it out and support and just say, I think this is cool. Well, not just locally, but, or myself, uh, I saw that, uh, there was something with Sam Adams that, um, you got an award. This the business got an award. You got an award. Yeah, so it's called um, Brewing the American Dream. Okay, so they do it for one brewer- brewery each year, and um, it's really I mean talk about giving back. Um, Sam Adams started as this you know tiny yeah. brewery and grew and grew to now be a billion dollar company, and um, still the same owner, Jim Cook. And um, he wanted to start giving back and sort of helping, like, what could he do to help make, you know, to pay it forward, to help 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 these entrepreneurs with things that he didn't have help with yes. when he was starting out. So he knows where the pain points are. And, um, yeah, so we, there were five finalists. We all got to go to New York. Which even that in itself, we're like, even if we don't win, this is cool. <laughs> you know, they're fine. You get to New York and you get to uh, bring your beer. I brought the uh, Junipers. Okay. Which is my, uh, that's sort of my pride and joy. That's when I worked on at home. Okay. It's an IPA with Juniper Berries. Worked on that at home for years before we opened. And it's all fresh ingredients for the, like, yep. natural ingredients. Yes. I mean, yep. for the beer. Yep. All, you know, he's uh, mostly barley, some wheat. Okay. Um, and then hops, yeast, okay. and water. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, the reason I asked about that was because um, the reason you were selected was not, it wasn't because you were a woman, but it was because, you know, you're a microbiologist who then making beer in the basement and then you become a staple, a cornerstone of the community. Um, I was reading a story about the daily dose of freedom beer yeah. that was created. 
And uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about that and when they can look forward to it being um, here on on site on tap? Yeah. So we and that was part of what they were looking for is we we definitely love and appreciate giving back through beer. You can we're in a unique position to be able to give back and make a, a nonprofit more than just writing a check. Right. Yeah, we can get everybody involved in giving to them in addition to us, you know, so it, right. we can turn something small into something really meaningful. Um, so really being able to take advantage of that unique position we're in. Um, so this, so we always have sort of at least one fundraiser beer going on okay. at all times. Um, right now we have the Barkstoberfest yes, uh, yes, for, the, yes. for the dogs <laughs> and cats at Barks. Um, I always forget to say cats with them. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the Daily Dose of Freedom, that's probably the one, if you were to ask anyone who works in the back with us, is the most uh, meaningful and special to all of us. Um, it started, this is, how many years? Um, so it started, I want to say 2020. 2020? It must start 2019. Yeah. Okay. So 20, because we opened 2018. So it started 2019. Um, there was a tailgate, as we're so close to Raven Stadium. <laughs> there's um, a lot of tailgating, uh, obviously, on, on home games. And so we had a uh, tailgate group that was out front, had the spots out front. Okay. Um, and part of, they were a tailgate group and friends, but part of what they did is um, they were also a charitable group, not a nonprofit. They just would pick something charitable mm-hmm. to work on for, for that sort of football season. Okay. And so what they did that year was they had people nominate. It was supposed to be like a highlighting a veteran. Um, so they had people nominate somebody and you could nominate them. And what they would do is you got like, oh, they would cover, pay for your tickets. You would come tailgate with them. They would pay for two tickets. You'd hang out with them. They'd pay for all your beer, food, whatever. Like basically the whole wow. day was, wow. was on them. And it was just supposed to be like celebrating this person who had done something special. And um, so who got uh, chosen for that year was somebody, a veteran named Tim Treadwell. And he was nominated by his sister. <laughs> and he was a veteran. He had been diagnosed with stomach cancer. And um, so ended up having to leave the uh, military. And um, basically dedicated the rest of his life to raising money for various nonprofits and um, sort of doing everything he could to give back until the end. And um, so he was the clear winner. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing guy. But um, it coincided around fall. We also do uh, host an event called the Homebrew Extravaganza. Okay. So it's actually this Wednesday. But um, oh, really? It's uh, the proceeds go to Barks. Uh, so people come. Homebrewers come, bring their beer. People come to the event. They vote for their favorite beers. And then the winners, you know, get prizes. I get a lot of prizes that are donated. Um, so you win, win cool prizes. Okay. And um, so he ended up, he was involved in that event. And uh, his beer won, I think, third place, third, second or third place. And um, again, this was all like in the same week. And so then the tailgate group, we knew pretty well by that just from them being out front <laughs> came and asked us like, is there any way we could like have a special beer release like on the small batch for this? And they told us his story. And we're like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to your do that. Yes. <laughs> um, so what we did is we had him come in 
um, brewed his exact recipe, which um, is basically an IPA using, uh, it's called the Veterans Blend Hops. Okay. So one of the hop companies, YCH out west, okay. does a, um, each year veterans get to go out, um, which he was supposed to go out one year, but he was too sick. Um, but a group of sort of special Olympic veterans go out and they put together a different blend of hops that then becomes that year's veteran blend hop blend. Yeah. Um, and then a portion, when you buy the hops, when breweries buy the hops, a portion of the proceeds goes to whatever veteran organization they choose that year. Okay. Um, so that was kind of cool to like have it double filled in. Um, and so the beer, though it does change every year because we use the 100% veterans blend hops. So it's whatever that oh, blend so, each so, year okay. is, okay. is what this sense. IPA is. So it's never going to taste exactly the same, but it'll still be like a, a sort of West Coast IPA. Okay. And, um, yeah, so that was great. And at that point, he was in remission. All great. And then um, the next year was 2020, which we all loved. 2020. <laughs> um, so it was COVID, and he uh, was no longer in remission. So, um, you know, he only had, like, months left. And so we all just said, screw it, masked up, and um, brewed the beer with him again. So, again, on the same small batch. And, um, yeah, it was great. We had the release, whole family came out and, um, he passed very soon after that. And, um, we decided to keep it alive. We had actually gotten to know his parents, his sister, her husband, his wife, her, their two kids. We had gotten to know them really well through all of this. And, um, you know, cause also he, his dream was when he retired he, from the military, um, he would have been like still young enough to do it to, he wanted to open a brewery. So oh. he had like a crazy homebrew set up in his basement. And so this was like his dream. Um, and so we then the next year brewed it with his whole family and, um, yeah, they came in and his daughters added the hops and sort of everybody was very involved with the whole thing. Um, and then that was still a pilot batch. And then we decided the next year to continue it, but to do it on the big batch. Okay. Um, so that was the first year we did it on the big batch was last year. Uh, we And we canned it and um, again had a big release party. And a portion of the proceeds has always gone to various veterans organizations. So it was ones that he chose. And then we sort of worked with his family to pick some. Um, and then last year we started working with uh, Reveille Grounds, uh, a veteran organization that actually just got a brick and mortar um, a couple blocks away from us. So um, that's been sort of really nice. They they do a lot of work uh, providing resources for um, veterans. So they're a nonprofit themselves, but they also then donate, give to other nonprofits. Um, so they're really the sort of more the experts on who can use the money in the best, in the best capacity. Um, so this year we've taking it even bigger and <laughs> they all came out and now, so before it was the 15 barrel system. So we did one, one, one barrel, one barrel, one barrel, then 15. And now we just did the 20 barrel batch. So we did it on Friday. Um, everybody came out again, very involved. Um, you know, they, they feel like family to us. Um, so it's, it is really touching. And so we're going to have a big uh, release on uh, Veterans Day, which is a Saturday this year. And um, yeah, we'll be having you know, some, entertainment by different veterans groups and uh working very tightly with Reveille Grounds um as it's going to be their sort of ribbon cutting for their new brick and mortar location as well so um really tying everything in and then um we always do sort of a 
honor. Uh, his sister always gets to talk about him, but sort of an honor, sort of remembering Tim and everything. So, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it does it, do, it is a very uh very touching story and I, I mean the the building of this business is a touching story right you know you were going like you said you were working somewhere and things didn't seem like they were going to pan out and you just took a leap of faith and then you're able to touch so many people with your business and and give back i think it's such a a, a an amazing story. I hate saying the word amazing, but it is really an amazing story. Um, what? <clears throat> what aspect of the business is the most taxing for you? Oh, it's definitely <laughs> um, like re- regulatory agencies so dealing with the city state government yeah, federal um a lot of city stuff yeah there's so many layers um and this goes for any business so many layers um so many things that you're expected to know and how are you expected to know them and no one wants to help this is a <laughs> situation where sometimes it's hard to find people who want to help um but you can we, right, and i have right, found right. people who can help um but I've ha- you have to um, navigating through the whole permits and um, and then alcohol is a whole layer on top. Right, of that. right. Maryland's pretty um, tough on that. So it's it's just all the regulations. Like, yeah, come with alcohol on top. It's um, it's just hard to navigate. You know, you're trying to do everything right, and you don't know if you're doing it right. And you're told one thing and another thing, and then an audit comes in, and you say, "Well, I." was told this so they're like well sorry and, <laughs> you know and and, and it's frustrating because you're you're really trying to do everything right and i'd say the majority of craft brewers are trying to do everything right and you just don't know what you're supposed to be yeah i can doing. imagine that being difficult um, how many permits and when they get renewed and this and that and it's it gets a little gets a little mind-boggling there when you just really want to brew <laughs> Exactly. Beer, you know, it's for any entrepreneur. You just, you want to be doing the thing you love and, you know, you end up spending all this time on sort of red tape. How do, how do you manage your time? Just, uh, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff on social media about, you know, I wake up at five and I whisper aspirations in the mirror and, you know, um, I have to listen to this cassette for, you know, 50 million minutes and I have yeah. to meditate and, all of these things, how do you just block out time, block your time to get all of the things that need to get done done? Uh, so again, this is all before we decided to open up a new location. We were just getting to where we had a great work-life balance. And then we did this. Um, so at least we know we will get back there at some point. So I'd say right now it's, you just put one foot in forward, one foot in front of the other every day. Um, but knowing that it's not going to be like this forever, knowing that you do this to get to the point that, that there is that balance. Um, and that balance has always been really important to us. Okay. Um, but yeah, for that aside, you know, you, I'm a big believer in lists and you got to okay. prioritize stuff. So like, what do I need to get done today? What can you get done tomorrow? You know, you might have 
300 things. I do have 300 things on my list <laughs> and I can't get them all done okay. tomorrow. And I definitely can't get them all done tomorrow without, you know, having a breakdown and you've got to, yeah, just balance everything. Like what is the most important? Okay. But then you do have to make sure that the thing that keeps getting bumped doesn't keep getting bumped right, right, <laughs> for, right. forever. But. Well, one of my last questions for you is uh, what do you say to someone who is scared to, you know, take the leap because they know that it's it's going to be a lot and work-life balance is probably not going to exist for the first couple years of yep. building their business. Definitely expect there not to be a work-life balance at the beginning. Um, I think that's fair for any business okay. you're going into for yourself. Um, but it's sort of like we were talking about before. It You do it so that you have control over your life at the end of the day. So at the end of the day, once we're, you know, there, you know, there's also the, the pressure. It's it's not like I can just not show up because especially now we have a lot of people that rely on this business succeeding as part of their life. Daily you know, life, um, yeah. so there's that added pressure. Where it's not like, oh, I, my business, I can just not come in, you know, um, but getting it to the point, you know, we've got a lot of great people who work for us and really and getting to, to the point where, right? where people are, can handle different aspects of things so that we can leave for a week and um, everybody can handle different things and, you know, we can be available for questions, but at the end of the day, like we could not physically be here for some period of time and it's not going to burn down. It's going to be just fine. You know, it it can um, be run by by the people we put surround ourselves with, but yeah, you definitely got to expect the beginning and as things change or as people come on, like you, you need, you need to make sure that they can take care of things okay. so that you have that work life balance. You can't just expect them to magically know what to do. Have the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, to magically evolve into right, the, right. to these people. Um, you know, it needs to be clear cut, um, you know, with intention that, mm. that that's what you want. You need, you need to create that for yourself. The work life balance isn't just going to, create itself for right. you. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's a job in itself. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But it pays off. It's it's it feels good. Like that first time we went away, you know. And Where'd everything you go? and everything went very smoothly. Where did you go? I was out. That was probably the actually the first time we went away was crazy. <laughs> it was my um parents' fiftieth uh-huh. anniversary. And they had been planning this for five years, a cruise to Alaska. It was like their bucket list. This is something they've been wanting. Well, we were supposed to be open like a year and a half before we were. So it's like, sure, July of 2018 will be fine. (laughs) And it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Well, we opened like three weeks before this. And this is the other side of things. You also only have one family, you know, you you also can't forget decisions that the place isn't going to burn down. So we were, we were gone for a week, three weeks into opening. And I mean, we were stressed as all get out. I can't, (laughs) but to have missed something like that, that was so meaningful for my parents, you know, everyone's not going to be here forever. And you have to, you have to sometimes take a step back and say, it's my kid's fifth birthday. Like, sorry, I can't like, I can't do that. 
you can't make that choice every day and saying, oh, well, well I have to do this every day. You right, know? Right, but right. If, if there's something special and there's something meaningful with family, with fa- like you need to also remember that, yeah, your work-life balance is off, but you can't also get the, don't forget. Can't get this time back. Can't, yeah, can't exactly. Get you can't get it back. back. Yeah. Can't get it back. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, the last question is, uh, I always ask what's next, but I know you were talking about regulations here in, you know, Maryland, Baltimore. Um, I would assume that you are going to be in different states and different cities. Is that for now, something that's next for, for you? now we're um, really focused on Maryland. Okay. Um, we're in D.C. a little bit. Okay. And we're weirdly enough in Honduras. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, we have an importer to Honduras, wonderful woman. Um, Maria and um, yeah, she came, loved our beers, uh, especially with them being gluten reduced. So she was trying to, um, she's Honduran and so she runs the American side of it. And um, I guess her brother, her family runs the sort of Honduran side of it. So trying to have sort of, um, sort of craft type items, um, not just beer. So be, like ours is the beer. Okay. And they have all these different products. Okay. Um, that they're importing. Uh-huh. Um, and so she was really focusing on, you know, sort of gluten-free, gluten-reduced um, products. So that's been, that's been really fun. So that that's one of the places we want to go next when okay. we can travel again. Okay. Definitely um, heading down to Honduras because to see our beer on the <laughs> shelf, like in person in Honduras is, I think that'd I can't be even pretty awesome. That yeah. Right now. yeah. Even seeing pictures was, was fun, but yeah, we really got to focus local. Um, it's, you know, just sales stuff. The the, you know, why would someone in Iowa buy a beer from Maryland right. when they have tons of craft beers? Right. It's the equivalent to why would someone in Baltimore buy some random brand they've never heard of from New Hampshire? Or you know, they've got a lot of local breweries that do a lot of local things that are very involved in helping mm-hmm. their local area. So why would you not support them? And so I think that's really the direction of the craft beer is going. Okay. You see a lot of these really bigger brands that are either consolidating together, uh-huh. um, uh, just because it's not it's not the same world it used to be where you had a choice of a hundred in the country. Um, it's like, oh, you want good beer? Well, that's that's that road. Right, you know, right, right. now it's the whole wall. Yeah, and um, you know, everywhere local, there are good breweries. You can get. Good beer local, so it's fresher. Uh-huh. The quality is going to be better just for that reason uh-huh. that it's fresher. So it's not sitting in a distributor's warehouse for six months right. at room temperature before it gets to, to your, you. your local you know, corner it's store. Been right. A couple of weeks, and right. all of a sudden now you're drinking it. Um, and so I think that's definitely the direction it's going. So you know, our motto more is until we're in every establishment that sells. Okay. Craft beer. So or until that, you're you Raven know, Stadium in uh, Oregon Stadium. Beer would be, Are you over there? Are you in that? No, that's um, there's a lot more involved with selling in stadiums. A lot, of, a lot more tape. Yeah, okay. you could call it tape. <laughs> <laughs> it's called money. Yeah. <laughs> money. Yeah. Okay. Um, but maybe one day. But it's the best place to go to have a beer before and after. Yes. It only costs, yes. you know, seven. Seven fifty versus yes. uh, a lot, lot more. Yeah, than that. So we're the. Uh, so this is the best place to go. Hundred percent. 
before <laughs> and after a Ravens win. Yep. There should be there should be a bunch of there were a ton of people out there, so make sure you get here on time when they open on Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays or whenever there's football. <laughs> right? There's football like every day of the week. Right, though, I know right? there is. Right. right? So, yeah, so Sunday one o'clock games we open at ten, ten AM. Okay. Okay. For the t- let the tailgating begin. Nice, nice. Um thank you. Yeah. This was amazing. Uh I'm glad that you have me here. Uh I'm gonna check out the facility and I just wish you the best. Thank you. Wish you the best. Wish you guys the best as well. Thank you so much, Drew. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share. Just support the podcast. I appreciate you all. And most importantly, Take keep it, it up, up listen. Listen.